We are in Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 42, and uh, we're continuing through there. And uh, uh, as we look through this passage, uh, there's some highlights that we'll hit and we'll go after. But it's, I'm just struck that this, uh, you know, they've got this whole scene going on with the disciples, and they're real people. Sometimes we put, uh, like, what's happening into a, uh, like, a construct, like we depersonalize everybody. But they're people just like you and I. Like, what would you be doing if you were out preaching and doing stuff with God, and and all of a sudden you got arrested, and and they're throwing you in jail, and your family's worried about you, and, and, or if you were the religious people in, in power, and all of a sudden this, this drastic thing is happening, and people are going away from in following this person that you thought, there's no way, this isn't the Messiah, this person isn't who God has, I mean, you'd be pretty shook up. So there's, there's this fear in the midst of this passage, and, and we want to take a look at what people do with it, because actually, there's uh, even amongst the Pharisees, there's some wisdom about what to do with fear as well. So that's what we're going to take a look at. In regards to fear, uh, mental health professionals have developed a list of hundreds of phobias uh, that have gripped people. Uh, phobias are, are irrational fear of something that is unlikely to cause harm. So I understand this. Uh, I remember, I still, it's implanted in my brain forever. I remember this slide, this enclosed slide. And I remember my mom standing at the bottom. And I remember it was red. And I was just at the top for like an hour, okay, as a kid. Go down the slide. There's nothing to fear. Not happening, you know, so I, I didn't do it. No joke. I thought years back, I'm like, I need to go find that slide and I need to go conquer it. Um, then I remember when I was graduating high school, my mom and stepdad uh, offered me the trip of a lifetime uh, and uh, just an amazing trip. And I, I canceled on them because I was fearful that, like, my relationship with my girlfriend and, and my friends and just graduating, I was fearful that, like, that would all fall apart. And so, um, I've moved on. I've gotten better. I've gone on many slides. Uh, I've gone on trips without my loved ones, and, and everything's good. Uh, but fear really uh, is something that affects all of us in one way or another. Um, uh, it, it comes after us in different ways. Uh, fear is even used by those in power uh, to try to herd people into their reality of society. Uh, FOMO is a big one today, right, with the ability to know what's going on in social circles and pretty much the whole world, uh, fear of missing out, uh, that can really drive, uh, you know, kind of us not being able to be present with, with the people that we're with. Uh, fear really is a thief. Uh, it's something that really steals from us. It steals peace from us. It keeps us from being present with people and, and where we're at and the important situations. Uh, fear can also be the driving force in our lives so much that we're not able to function and really become the person that God created us to be. And so there's a lot at stake when it comes to fear. Uh, fear is very real, and uh, sometimes it's like irrational things, like the things I shared with you. But really, then there's a driving fear where we make decisions, major decisions in our life uh, based upon fear, and we let fear drive us. Uh, so that's, what it's, that's what's at stake. This is what Jesus spoke about. Um, and I think it applies to fear. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, so that's what fear comes to do as the offspring of the thief. So ultimately you have the thief, which is 
Satan, the enemy of our souls, right? He, he doesn't like us because we are the object of God's love. And so what he does in our lives, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so that's what fear does. When we give in to fear, its desire is to steal from us, to kill us, to destroy us ultimately. Uh, now, Jesus doesn't stop there, though. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So this statement and everything that Jesus does and says speaks to us, don't fear. You can read the Gospels when, when the angels came and announced the coming of Jesus. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. All throughout the Old Testament, when God would be moving in somebody's life, don't fear. Don't fear. So it's not, you don't overcome fear by like saying that it's not real. Right? Fear is going to be a real thing. It's always going to be present. But you move beyond it by recognizing Jesus, recognizing that he's the good shepherd. Notice that he says, I lay down my life, right? Because the ultimate of fear is that I'm going to die, is that something so horrible is going to happen to me. But Jesus, like, trumps it and says, look, the thief comes to do this, but here's the thing. I lay down my life. I lay down my life for everything. I'm the shepherd. So Jesus teaches us, and he also um, demonstrates for us in this passage what that looks like. So let's read together. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Uh, this is a longer passage. I hope you have your seatbelts on. We're going to read through the whole thing. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Jealousy, by the way, is, is a big part of fear. Uh, you know, typically a fear of uh, you know, losing somebody, fear of um, somebody being better than you, so all sorts of things. Um, they arrested the apostles and put them in pu- the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell all the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked and with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, Look, the men put you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of your ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. 
He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will, you will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them to, to not, not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So you've got all of that happening, and really you have, I mean, think about the real emotions of these people, uh, where they're sharing, they're thrown in jail, they're flogged, uh, and then the other side too, they're, they're losing power, um, they're losing control, real emotion here of fear. Some highlights of the passage is verse 20 and 28, you know, the disciples are set free miraculously and they're told to share the full message of this good news, and what was the Sanhedrin was upset, not because they were teaching, but because they were teaching in the name of Jesus. And so that's still today. You can talk about all sorts of things, but if you mention Jesus, people just know that they have to deal with something. That's why when I talk to people about Jesus, I just talk about Jesus. You know, I try not to talk about Christianity. I try not to talk about uh, church. I try not, you know, those things. If they want to talk about that's fine. But I found that if I can talk with people about the real person of Jesus and what he's like, then we can, we can talk about some things. But if we talk about religion or those things, then, you know, that's way down the line. Because Jesus, that's really what we have to deal with is the person of Jesus. So it is here. Uh, notice 38 through 39. One of the most famous passages, I think, in literature. Uh, I mean, what a wise statement. Look, if, if this is of man, it, it'll fail. But if it's of God, don't mess with it. Watch what you do here. Uh, what a great respect for God, and it comes from the Pharisees. Uh, he, was, he was Paul's teacher, uh, Gamaliel was, and so Paul, who was Saul, and then gave his life to Christ. Um, the apostles uh, you know, get beat up in verse 41 through 42, and then it says, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So they never stopped doing that. You know, I just... Our job as, uh, as people, like my, one of my sons, he started a real job this week. Like he got a job, you know, and, and it's pretty cool. And uh, so I picked him up yesterday and uh, you know that country song, Hardworking Man? So I, I played that in the car and he's like, dad, stop, you know, and I'm just like, this is so cool. And, and but, uh, you know, as he went into the job, he, okay, I'm supposed to do this. He has a job description. And uh, that's important too, as followers of Jesus, we can try to figure out all sorts of different ways of what we're supposed to do and what our job is as Christians and stuff. And, um, you know, number one, it's to receive love from Jesus, receive life. Um, But it can get complicated with everything else. Uh, The core of what they were doing is this, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Let me just propose this. Can you imagine if the followers of Jesus just did that? Like if we just shared consistently the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. In other words, he's the one that makes everything right. He, it's not a politician. It's not a system. It's not a, 
you know, pers- other person, but Jesus has already come and he makes everything right. Like, if we just shared that consistently. I mean, absolutely amazing. But to break it down more, it's 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21. It says this. This is our job description. This is just it. And we can do this in all sorts of ways and, and express it, but this is the base of what we are to do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Uh, the old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So that's it. That's your job description as a follower of Jesus. You have the ministry of reconciliation. You are to reconcile people to God. That's it. That's your job description. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Man, what if that news got out? Can you imagine if that news got out, that that God's not holding sin against people anymore, right? People would say, well, how do I get in on that? How do I get some of that? Well, you know, it's through Jesus. And so that's that's the message. Um, And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. He's committed it to us. So we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf... Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that, that, that's our job description. That's what we're supposed to do. You express in all sorts of different ways, and there, you know, but, but that's our message. Now, in that passage, we see them doing that. We know what we're supposed to do. But let's deal with this fear issue, because it's an issue for them. It's an issue for us. So how do we get beyond fear? Uh, in our lives. Like, how, how, how do we actually do that? We see some good examples in the passage. So the key is to look beyond fear. Uh, you know, Kevin and I pushed this thing over here, but, you know, those of you that played football, but I, so I played D-line, right? And so uh, when I was good at D-line, defensive line, I, I would, uh, you know, I'd get my guy and I'd hold my ground. I'd own that space, right? And look for the ball. That guy wasn't the goal. The guy running the ball that I wanted to crush was the goal, right? And so, but, um, but when I wasn't good at D-line is I would just try to get past the guy and run past, and then the, the guy with the ball would run past me, right? And so, but that's what you do with fear is that, you, you, you know, fear will grab you if you don't grab it. And you'll be standing there with fear. But here's the thing. Fear is not the issue. Fear will get right up in your face, Just like if you put your hand in front of your eyes, your your hand will seem like it's bigger than anything. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and put it right. You can't see anything else, can you? Right? But the goal is is to move that away and get perspective and see beyond that. So look beyond fear by remembering Jesus. So Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So if we look beyond fear and remember Jesus, and to remember something, break down the word. Re, so, and then member. So put it together again. All of these different points are remember, because we leak, we forget. When fear is in our face, all of our, our emotions, our chemicals in our body ramp up, and we can't think. You ever been in an argument and you just, you're trying to communicate and the other person, and it's just like you're missing each other? That's because fear and all sorts of emotions are flying. 
So when we get past it, we remember. So put Jesus back together. Remember what he is like. So fear is replaced by peace when we remember Jesus. Right? You'll have trouble in this world. He promised it. But remember me and you'll have peace. Right before that, he says, he says I've told you these things so that you'll have peace. Even though all this stuff is going on. Right? I mean, what kind of amazingness is that? That you can have all sorts of trouble and stuff going on and things won't go right, but you can have peace. That's the life that Jesus gives. And so, also, Jesus is alive in our passage. Verse 30. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. That's our paradigm. That's our worldview. Is that one that was dead overcame and conquered death itself and now is alive never to die again. That's the lens that we are to view life through. So when fear comes about, wait a minute, what's the scariest thing? Well, death. But Jesus even overcame death. And so when fear comes at us, like, wait a minute, no, I follow one that has overcome death itself and defeated death and rose from the grave. Also, too, it's not just that, hey, that's happened, it's a statement, but he's also on the move. God exalted him, verse 31, to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. So it's, it's just not that, that this is, it's a statement, it's history, but Jesus is on the loose, like he's out and about, he's doing things. That's what's happening here. That's why the whole conundrum and things are being shaken up is that they're not talking about one that was there. They're talking about one that is there. So it is with you and I. When things come about in our lives, Jesus is right in the midst of that. He's right there. And so we have to remember Jesus. Also, too, we look beyond fear by remembering God. When we do that, fear is replaced by freedom. Okay, God always brings freedom. And it's, it's counterintuitive because we surrender our lives and we surrender control to him. But what we do when we do that is we receive real freedom. It doesn't make sense to us because we want to be in control. Now, the disciples here, it says this is what they say as fear is happening. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. So these guys are living the future. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and so are you if you're a follower of Jesus. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're functioning and moving in the kingdom of God, and everything that you're doing is demonstrating like a preview of things to come. Right? When you watch a movie, you know, here's what the movie's about. And it seems like the previews today like show you the whole movie, right? And but that's what the the, the followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God do. So, like when you love the unlovely, you're giving a picture that. All of this is headed to a place and a time where everyone is loved. When you pray for someone and they're healed, you're giving a picture of that we're all headed to some place where nobody's sick. When you cross normal social barriers and you love somebody that maybe doesn't fit into your circle, whatever, you're giving a preview of what's to come in the kingdom of God, right? And so that's what the disciples are doing here. And as they're remembering God, they're able to live that way. Fear is right there, but they're able to live in such a way that they're giving a preview of things to come. And so can we. And then also Gamaliel, right? You don't see the Pharisees talked about in an encouraging light very often. But here it is. One of the top guys 
says this amazing statement. If their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. So Gamaliel gets it. No religious games. No religious games whatsoever. God's God, and he's in control, and I'm not God, too. That's an important thing to remember. There is a God, and I'm not him. Gamaliel says that. Look, be careful what you do, because God's on the loose here, and you, so you need, to get contr- you need to realize that. So look beyond fear by remembering God. Also, too, you guys, look beyond fear by remembering you. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm not that far off, Cody. But when fear gets up in your face, sometimes you can forget who you are. And I'm not talking about like the, the, um, the false us that we create, the masks that we put on, but like the real us, the real us. Before I met Jesus, I always felt like there was something more like underneath the surface. I'm like, I, I feel like I'm somebody, but, but I just can't understand it. When I met Jesus, he started to peel back these layers. I'm like, oh, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I'm called to. This is, so I can go through all kinds of stuff. I can do all sorts of things if I remember who I am and whom God made me to be. So when we, when we look beyond fear by remembering who we are in Christ, fear will be replaced by calling, dreams, and vision to become who you're meant to be. That's it. And that's a key thing that the church does. If you say to yourself, why do I come out on a snowy morning? Why do I come out to this place and do this? Because that's it. You remember who God is. You remember who Jesus is. And you're finding out who you are. And, and I can testify to it because that's what's happened to me for 30 years. I've been showing up. And, you know, at first I'm like, man, I don't want to hold hands with these people and, and pray and do this stuff. And what are we doing? And gosh, they want to talk to me all the time and they want to hug me and all these things. And, you know, what is, and they're happy all, what is this? And, but all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, I'm becoming somebody, becoming who I was made to be in Jesus. We think of David and Goliath. We love that story. But the power of the story is that David, it's not that we say we can go take down giants too, giants in our lives. But the key is, is that David was, David was functioning in his purpose of what he was made to do. David was anointed as the king of Israel as a teenager. And so when he walked onto this battlefield with Goliath and, and he came up to the king and all these great warriors wouldn't go up against him, it wasn't that, that David just said, with God I can take down giants. It was that he understood who he was. He was the king. He was the rightful king of Israel. And so he would protect Israel in the name of God. That's what it was. Other people could have got on that field and they wouldn't have slain Goliath. Just because they said, well, I can do this. It was because it was his purpose. And all the preparation that happens within that, you know, I, we're not going to read it today, but read 1 Samuel 17, 31 through 37. And, and David talks about, you know, I was a shepherd for my father's sheep. And when a lion came and attacked the sheep, I took down the lion. And when a bear came and took down the, tried to take down the sheep, I took down the bear. And God enabled me to do this. And I did this. It was all preparation for that. So it is with you. Your, your story is, is a poem all the way from birth to where you're at now in all your different experiences and the valleys and the hills and all the victories and the failures. It's all this story that God's putting together for you to be the person you're made to be. 
And no one has any less valuable experience or story than anybody else. Because you're just supposed to be you. And that's what's happening. That's what God's working in you. And when you remember who you are, you remember the victories that you had. You remember who you are in Jesus. That you're a child of God. That you're a son or daughter of God. Fear can't take over you. You move past it. And then lastly, look beyond fear by remembering us. Okay? And what do I mean by us? Remember the church. Church is beautiful. Right? The church is the most amazing force on the face of the earth. Is the church of Jesus Christ. I've, I've, I've met people all over and all over the world and gone and been with people and didn't know them before. And I could just meet them. And yet there's a camaraderie. There's something. Not because we have shared experiences. Not because, like, in other words, we were born in the same place or we were raised the same way or spoke the same language. But because of the Holy Spirit living within us. And so the church is there. And I think that that's a piece that some of us maybe skip. Because we want to seem strong. We want to seem whole. And so when fear comes into our lives, we forget about the other people that are with us. And so when we look beyond fear to remember us, fear will be replaced by the love and encouragement of others. Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound good? And here's the problem, though. Some of us are very good at giving it, but we're not real great at at receiving it. Okay? Yeah. I have to work real hard. I'm all about like, hey, let's, yeah, you know. But then it's like with me, it's how how do I receive it? I don't know if anybody else is like that. You know, because I want to be strong. I want to seem capable, all those things, right? And so we, we have to fight through that and we get love and encouragement. Ephesians 2.22 says this. It says, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So all these people, all of us like finding our purpose and, and remembering who we are and fighting off fear. And at the same time, that's what's happening not just in this body, but throughout the earth, is that God is forming together his church, building us together, so a place so that he could dwell. I mean, isn't that, isn't that incredible? Like this building was created for um, people to be in, to dwell here. But then Jesus, after his resurrection, is creating these people for his spirit to dwell in. We don't build a church building for God to dwell in. We build a church of people to be dwelt in by God. And the number one enemy of that is fear. Because, you know, you hear all the, there's a bunch of songs today, right? And the reason is because fear is rampant in our world today. And fear has power because of the meaning that we give it. And these, these four things that we talked through, you know, look, look beyond, okay, Look beyond and remember Jesus. Look beyond and remember God. Look beyond and remember who you are. Look beyond and remember who the church is. When we do that, fear loses its meaning. Because something comes up, we give it meaning, like, oh, this is going to happen, or this thing is going to go there. And so I just want to encourage you and, and, and um, also get rid of stuff that feeds fear. Like, years ago, I, I found myself, I used to love to look at, like, the news channels and stuff on my phone. I'd read through, and, but I found myself fearful. I found myself, and I, I don't need any help with that. 
you know, as my other stories, right? I mean, look, I already can imagine all the horrible things that are going on in the world and could happen. I don't need to know that they actually are, you know? And so I just stopped. And I put myself into these things more. And so what is it for you? Uh, we're going to have the band come back up, and, and we're going to worship here. And, um, and so let's stand together. And then, two, if, if you want prayer today, maybe it's for fear, maybe it's for encouragement, maybe you just want more of Jesus, we'll pray for you. But let's stand together and let's worship. Just your great love for us and um, for your presence here. And we just, uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you that we have nothing to fear in you. Thank you that you set us free in Christ. And you overcame every power and principality. Every power that sets itself up against you and against us. You overcame at the cross. And so just while we go into worship right now, just um, if we can kind of just hang here for a second as we go in. Um, just let's do business with God. And wherever fear is influencing you, would you just give that to him right now? Would you just speak to him? And, and, just, just, and, then, and then ask him, say, you know, now, now fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because the New Testament says, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Right? What is he, he has given us is given us himself. And so receive the Holy Spirit. Let your fear be replaced by his presence. Let's just take a minute and just sit there and talk to him about that.